I said we're gonna have a good day. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. Rise is a podcast that highlights how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day. All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Cause every morning we will rise. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. We are thrilled to have Elizabeth McCall with us this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in if that's okay. Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you found your way to Woodford Reserve? I know that just from knowing you, that you have an undergraduate degree in counseling, and that seems like an interesting avenue into whiskey making. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not the what people expect. I think most people expect you to say, oh, I have a degree in chemistry or whatever. I was always afraid of science and realized after I got my job, I actually really love science and just all the research and planning and all of that data-driven sort of analysis. But when I really, what got me into the role was just the the desire to have a full-time job at a company that was that had good benefits, like all the, the not sexy things about the beverage industry. So it was like, oh, well, they were hiring. My little brother is six years younger than me. And so he was graduating high school. I was graduating from graduate school, trying to find uh, job opportunities in counseling. And it was just not looking so great or like anything I was really excited about. And a man was at his graduation party who worked for Brown Foreman. And he said, oh, well, we have an opportunity. Somebody's leaving our sensory lab. If you are interested, send me your resume and we'll look it over. We look for people who have psychology backgrounds simply because psychologists are using human beings as an instrument. And so they are, we're looking at how does a human respond to things? And that's what sensory is. Sensory is all about human response to different things. So that was my in having that degree. And then I don't know how I got the job. I just was very lucky to get it and started as a technician in the lab, setting up taste panels. Chris Morris always hates when I say washing dishes, but literally like part of my job was to wash all the sensory glassware and load the dishwasher. So I'm really good at loading a dishwasher. (laughs) But beyond that, it was like, then I learned the analytical side of it and just sort of worked my way up in the company out of curiosity more than anything, just a desire to keep learning. I think that's so interesting. I, like Emily said, I was really curious about how your background kind of led to whiskey making. And and I think it, it makes perfect sense now that you explain it like that. So you're also the second generation of your family to work in the spirits industry. We know that your your mom maybe also worked as a sensory expert. So can you tell us a little bit about how maybe she influenced your career path or, you know, just having kind of female mentorship in a male dominated industry influenced you? 
Yeah, my mom worked for Seagram's, which was, they lived in Cincinnati at the time. And so it was just in Indiana. And she would drive over there and she was bottling like manager, supervisor, which was just so interesting at the time. We're talking like late seventies when she's in this, you know, leadership role, which is typically men. And so, but it was, what's funny is growing up, it was never presented like this challenge that my mom kind of overcame. It was just a, a job she had. And she really, what I think about most is that my mom like had to drive to Indiana to go to job. And I just remember when she would talk about snowstorms, it was like, she has a terrible fear of driving in the snow. And so she always would talk about just having to go over to Indiana and like these terrible snowstorms. It's just funny. It wasn't a big emphasis on I'm doing this crazy role in a male dominated industry. It was just, it was a great job. She made good money and, and really enjoyed it. And then of course, it's like when she got pregnant and had my brother, they didn't have any maternity leave. They didn't have any resources to support women in the workforce. And so it was a better decision for her to just leave the workforce and be a stay-at-home mom than to try to go back and, and juggle it all. She just didn't, she was like, I don't know how I could have stayed in that role and been a mom too. So she ended up leaving that, but always carried a good influence just on I remember being in high school and having a friend say to me like, oh, well, I just want to get married and marry a wealthy guy and he'll take care of me. And my mom was like, do not ever (laughs) do that. You will never do that. And I was like, oh, like I never wanted to, but it was like, okay, I will not do that. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) But yeah, so that was kind of the influence of my mom. I think that's great. And fast forwarding, now you're a mom and you are the first mother to be a distiller in Brown Foreman history. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's first woman to hold the title of anywhere like master distiller, assistant master distiller and be a mom. So that is a first for the company and an honor. It's a huge honor. Have you learned anything through that process or has anything been particularly challenging? My daughter is a COVID baby. She's born during shutdown in 2020. So she was born in July of 2020. And it's weird because I thought when I was becoming a mom and my job required me to travel a lot and do a lot and be away from home a lot at night, I was just had so much anxiety. And then COVID happened and it's like, we're not allowed to go anywhere. And so it's almost like having the opposite effect of when I do have to travel again, I'm going to have serious separation anxiety because I haven't had to be away from her or anything. So, but I feel very fortunate that I work for a company that supports women in the workplace and there's never a question from any manager or anything. I feel totally supported to when my daughter's sick, I can be home. I can kind of work around like having, being a mom and it's not a negative. It's just part of being an employee these days. I think that's great. And so happy to hear that you're embraced in that role. Yeah. Elizabeth, something that I'm curious about, you know, in healthcare, we focus quite a bit on quality improvement and quality overall. And, you know, you touched a little bit on this. You talked about a little bit about your role as a sensory, I'm not coming up with the right word. Technician. Uh, Technician. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, With Brown Foreman. Can you explain a little bit about how you work to define the quality 
sensory standard for Woodford Reserve products. I guess, what do you do when your product doesn't meet the standard that you're hoping it does? Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, I think that that's kind of, we talk a lot, or I feel like whiskey writers and, and whiskey, they're all about what's the newest thing and what is like what master's collection, what weird thing are you doing? But really the hardest thing is maintaining the quality of the product that's currently out on the shelf. Like that is the art, I think, truly when it comes to making whiskey. And so setting that standard is a big deal. We basically set it, we developed the quote unquote gold standard for Woodford back when I was in the lab. It was probably, I don't know, 2000. 11, 12-ish when we actually developed it, which seems very late in the game, but it was just, this is Woodford Reserve. We're going to preserve it in a time capsule. And we did a lot of sensory testing just around, you just taste it and a bunch of different batches to make sure that it, it tastes the way that we who know Woodford very well expect it to taste. And so that kind of is how you set it, which sounds so it's very subjective. So it is. But when you've got the master distiller and then other, I was on the panel and other experts when it comes to whiskey, that was kind of the the goal is that you set this standard. This is what Woodford, in my mind, tastes like. And we all agree. So you've got a consensus from a group of people. So that was the biggest thing. And then now every batch is compared back to that standard. So every time we make a new batch of Woodford, we're tasting, here's the standard, we've got it in a glass, and then we have the current batch in a glass and you compare back and forth. And if it doesn't meet that standard, we have ways to mitigate it so we can not put it into the bottle and put it in totes or so that we can kind of blend it off if it's something like that. Or you can add barrels if it's not spicy enough. You can add barrels to kind of give it more spice character, more fruit character. So you can always sort of finesse it a little bit. There are quality issues that are unacceptable. And then those are just, they don't even make it into a batch of Woodford. And we have ways to to deal with that too. That is so intriguing the way you've explained that. And I don't know, you know, Audra and I are in this podcast, trying to learn from other industries. And you've mentioned pulling in, you know, your psychology background, the arts, all of this into your role and blending it to come up with quality product. I think that that's really impressive. Thank you. (laughs) So Elizabeth, I'm curious, as you were describing Woodford, you mentioned, you know, that kind of people have this expectation that it's going to taste a certain way. And I think that if you're a bourbon drinker, you do sort of expect, you know, a certain taste from different types of brands. But when people have that mindset of quality with Woodford, how do you go about innovating and developing new products while maintaining those quality standards or taste? Does it hinder you at all to kind of stay within the box of this Woodford should taste a certain way? Or I guess, where do you get your inspiration for ideas? That's a good question. And I think, you know, you think about like healthcare, you have your standards of what, of how you operate and how you're going to work with your patients. And we have the same sort of guidelines when it comes to Woodford. So we have our five sources of flavor, basically for in bourbon and Woodford, we use that as a guideline for innovation. So we know we're not going to change our water. We know we're not going to change our yeast strain, but we can change our grain recipe. We're not going to change the way we distill our product, but we can change maturation. And so using that as a guide, we will change grain recipe and it will taste different than regular Woodford. And we have become where we're we're okay with that because we're trying to 
show and demonstrate if you change one, just one of the sources of flavor, then you can really shift the flavor of the product. And that is what we want to emphasize. And we do want to show that. And we understand too, that some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it because it's not going to taste like Woodford as people are familiar with, but that's kind of the point of these sorts of things. But that's the only time we operate in that. Like the master's collection and the distillery series were allowed to be different and taste different. And they still should be reminiscent of Woodford, but with the quality, so you're not going to see negative defects, but you're going to see an expression of flavor that's different. I think that's really interesting. And it really is a nice segue into something else that I'm curious about. You work one-on-one with consumers on personal barrel selections. How do you individualize tasting experiences for the, or to the consumer? So that's fun. Personal selections are, are a lot of fun to do because basically when we put together a standard batch of Woodford Reserve, it's around 120 barrels. So you're putting a lot of barrels together to create consistency. But when you make your batch smaller and smaller, the flavor varies a lot more and you see all these differences. So when we do a personal selection, people are actually tasting individual barrels. So they taste just single barrels of Woodford Reserve and then we batch them together in two barrel combinations. So it's, you're going from 120 barrels in your batch to just two barrels and people are picking what they like because each little two barrel combination is going to taste different. And some of them might be spicy, one may be fruity, one may be very sweet aromatic. And so then you pick which one you enjoy the most. And I always tell people, I'm like, because they're like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, this is your personal selection. It's all about what you enjoy. So your taste preference may be different than mine. And that's the whole point of doing a personal selection. So it's a lot of fun. It's really custom and it's to your liking, really. Sounds like we need to sign up for one of those, Audra. (laughs) (laughs) Sooner rather than later. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) So Elizabeth, I know just enough about bourbon to be dangerous. I feel like Emily probably agrees with me. So I grew up in North Carolina and like Kentucky bourbon was a relatively new thing for me when I moved here. And all I had to go on was my, my grandfather would drink like bourbon and Coke at Christmas. That yeah. was only, and, you know, and I moved to Kentucky and people said, what in the world? Like who, who in the world would mix Coke with bourbon? So I'm learning about this and I'm learning more and more about just like the quality of Kentucky bourbon and and I really find it similar to just this farm to table movement where we're, you know, thinking a lot about where we're getting ingredients and sourcing information and the quality of that. And there's just so much more into it than I ever imagined. And so I'm curious when you're thinking about Woodford and Kentucky bourbon in particular, how do you leverage relationships in kind of that farm to table fashion where you're thinking about local farmers and sourcing local grains? And can you tell me a little bit about that process of what makes the quality so special? Why you don't want to mix it with Coke? <laughs> well, I have been quoted in Garden and Gun making an argument for whiskey and Coke or bourbon and Coke. And people hate that. But, you know, when you get on your sensory wagon, you can kind of see why they go well together because (laughs) Coke has a lot of baking spice and citrus and so does bourbon and there's vanilla. So like there are a lot of reasons why they go well together. I don't enjoy that. My husband did it the other day and I was like, oh God, like he's like, well, you know, it's like an afternoon 
game and he's, I don't know. It was like a whole thing. I was like, that. he's like, yeah, I don't know why I did that. I was like, yeah, it was a bad, bad move. But if that's what you enjoy, drink it how you like it is all I have to say. But on that note, so quality is really important when it comes to grains. And this is something I have gotten really involved with as when I became assistant master distiller, kind of exploring just that whole idea of being farm to table and sourcing our grains locally. We already get all of our corn local. Rye doesn't grow well in Kentucky. So part of our grain recipe is rye is in there. And so basically, and then malted barley doesn't, we don't grow barley in Kentucky really on any commercial scale. So the two grains that we are part of our grain recipe, we need to figure out how do we grow them in Kentucky and do that. So we have, I'm part of the Kentucky Rye Cover Crop Initiative. And basically we're trying to bring the production of rye grain back to Kentucky. And it has a lot of benefits for soil health and water health. And then for me, I was just thinking we could lower our carbon footprint because most of our rye comes from either Europe or parts of Northern United States and into Canada. So if we could minimize that carbon footprint of transferring it here, great. But then I've learned there's a lot of uh, great things about rye for your soil health for farmers. And then it's also, it's like, well, the economic impact, if we can make it a profitable grain that they cover their crops or their ground in the wintertime with, with a rye cover crop and then have it go to seed and we can purchase that seed from them, they can make money off of it. Then it's kind of a two benefited sort of thing. And, and it's definitely still in its infancy and we're learning a lot. Woodford has signed up from a flavor standpoint to help with the research and, and understanding does it have a flavor impact? Does rye grown in Kentucky taste different than rye grown elsewhere? And so we're learning. We've discovered there's some minimal differences, but we're still at the very beginning stages of it. But it's really exciting, fun work. Elizabeth, I've learned so much from you today about the bourbon industry. This has really been a whole lot of fun. I Aside from having maybe an occasional glass, my experience really with the bourbon industry has been uh, participating in the bourbon chase (laughs) and running (laughs) with my team from distillery to distillery in Kentucky, which was fun. But outside of that, I've just, I don't know, there's so much more, as Audra mentioned earlier, that goes into this industry than I ever realized. So I'm really glad that we've gotten to talk to you about it today. Just out of curiosity, what is one of the most memorable or one of the coolest things you've been able to do? with your job? I saw that question. I was like, Ooh, what, what was it? I think the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do was when I got to take a little mini golf lesson from Justin Thomas at Ricky Fowler's house. It was like, is this real life? I mean, cause I'm a huge, <laughs> I'm a huge golf fan. I love watching golf. I'm not really a good player. I will go out and hit a ball and, and have fun with it, but I'm not competitive in any sense. It was just so cool. And it was people like I've watched Ricky Fowler on TV for years and years and you see him and he was just like, Oh, you guys should have come earlier. We could have worked out. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, (laughs) Okay, Ricky, darn it. I'm sorry. We didn't get here earlier, you know, but he just was so nice and welcoming and letting us use his property for filming. And, and Justin, I mean, his whole family is just, they couldn't be nicer people. So um, it was just such a great experience all around. 
I think that's great. I think it's it's so awesome when, you know, your work takes you to people and places that you wouldn't ordinarily go to. I think it's just so rewarding. So we always end our podcast with rapid fire questions. So we ask these questions to all of our guests and they are like the first thing that comes to mind. So not a very long answer, but just, you know, whatever pops into your head. So our first question is, um, what's your favorite leadership quote or book? This is hard. I think what I thought of was the um, Becoming by Michelle Obama, which it's not necessarily a leadership book, but I loved when she talked about going into a job interview and bringing her daughter, Sasha. And she was like, this is me. I'm a working mom and I don't have a babysitter right now, but I will do such a great job for you. And it was just like, yes, that is awesome. I love it. It It's so inspiring. I totally agree. I love that book. Have you on audible you know she narrates the entire yeah it's so good it was it was so wonderful to listen to I love that one okay Elizabeth what is one thing on your wish list related to healthcare? (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh um (laughs) I think anything just to simplify insurance would be lovely because it's just so like I think like especially getting medication is so frustrating and so expensive and ugh. Can we get that sorted out? All right. Our last question is about lifelong learning. So Emily and I both believe in the value of lifelong learning. And you kind of touched on that when we started our conversation about how, you know, your job has led you to a lot of different opportunities to learn. But if you could learn one new thing, what would it be? I was thinking about this and I think it would be gardening, like, and really not having to Google search everything. You know, it's like I walk through the neighborhood and I have a neighbor and he's in his 90s and he just knows about like where to plant plants and how much sun they need. And and I just envy that so much. So my I would love to learn more about gardening and all that. I love that. There's definitely an art to gardening. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't have the touch, but I'm Me either. myself. <laughs> I just feel like I replace, I replace, they die. And I, <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm like, how do you get a garden that is just where it comes back every year and looks beautiful? And uh, one day I will have it. <laughs> Good luck with that. Let us know what you <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much. This was wonderful. And we learned so much about not only quality and the bourbon industry, but also how it can relate to healthcare. And there's so many things that you said that I took away to, you know, apply to how we deliver healthcare in our own communities. So thank you so much. We really enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much for having me. you, but I was just as excited about the idea of personalized bourbon tasting together as I was about learning about innovation and partnerships. I feel like we've really missed the boat on this interview. Who needs Zoom when we can have bourbon barrels? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we need to have a rain check. This might be a better set of circumstances for a thoughtful debrief about learning, Emily, but maybe we'll add it to our season three lineup. We would both be more entertaining if we had a little bourbon, but Anyway, I digress. Let's talk about learning and what we learned from Elizabeth today. Something that really stood out to me was her education and career path. I was really curious about how she was going to explain going from a psychology degree to the role of master distiller. 
And as she was talking, I found it very intriguing that a distilling company would be searching for an individual with a psychology degree. Elizabeth shared that psychologists have a honed skill set. They're trained to observe how humans react in their environment. Coupling that skill set with a company interested in enhancing the consumer's experience made perfect sense, and I really didn't think that it would. Audra, we often talk about cooking on this podcast. I'm not the best, whatever, not my strong suit. Well, you know what? I think I'm pretty good, but my girls usually don't touch a thing that I make, so I should probably take a look in the mirror myself. (laughs) Well, if I'm honest, though, I guess it's just overwhelming sometimes for me to experience. I love to bake, and if I follow all the rules, which you know is my comfort zone, (laughs) I can make some pretty yummy desserts. But the other day, I made a dish for dinner, and it was basically awful. (laughs) I didn't eat it. My husband opted to just not eat dinner that night. And I don't even think that the raccoon that's in our trash can every single night took a chance on this one. It was over-seasoned and basically just a dessert. (laughs) But then I see my husband and others like you who love cooking and how people who enjoy cooking just reach for spices, throw them in and create this delicious masterpiece. I guess what I'm saying is a chef must have a knowledge base of cooking techniques, spices, and foods, and then pull from other experiences to enhance the meal or create a new twist. Just like Elizabeth has a foundational knowledge in psychology in observing human beings, which was beneficial in cultivating product for a distillery. And just like healthcare professionals have knowledge in nursing and or medicine, But the quality care they provide is also this beautiful mix of how they pull that knowledge from other experiences and mix it all together to provide the best care. Well, first, I just want to say, give yourself a break. We all whiff (laughs) on dinners. You're okay. Um, But I love what you're saying. And honestly, it makes me think about self-care. And I think I'm going to go off on a tangent for a minute and totally off the grid with bourbon, but just bear with me. So cooking or even crafting bourbon, I guess I can bring this back quickly, is really a creative outlet. And I think that creativity is definitely a form of self-care. That's important to carve out time to, you know, think a little bit differently. But also, you know, in these examples, it's also so much about the people. I grew up with these like giant church suppers. And my mom has this huge family. So every holiday, there were aunts and uncles and just quite frankly, a whole lot of chaos. But there's just something for me anyway, that's so wonderful and feeds my soul, no pun intended, when I feel like I'm acting out of service and love and just taking care of others. I think that whether it's having memorable experience over a glass of bourbon or a meal or if it's creating a thoughtful plan of care for a patient or a learning-centered plan for students. There's this beautiful mix. There has to be a beautiful mix, right? It's the science that mixes it up, that makes sure the cake rises. Emily, you're going to need to revisit your science books, sorry. Or it could be, you know, the chemistry of the bourbon mix. But it's also about the experience, Is it memorable? Does it create an inviting, caring experience for others? It's the mix in the kitchen, in the bourbon barrel, or in healthcare that, as you said, is really beautiful. 
And I think it's important to remember that it's not just research. It's just, it can't be just research and just evidence-based practice. It's got to be about the people as well. And another point, and then I promise I'll stop talking, but we, we talk so often about quality improvement in healthcare. Sometimes I feel like until we're blue in the face, but it's also such an important part of our work. And just like you experience with your terrible meal, we don't want to do a lot of work if consumers don't want it or if it doesn't do what we intended it to do. I absolutely agree. We turn to evidence-based literature to find guidelines and care standards to inform our care. We learn with, from, and about each other. We have to think about how to incorporate all of that into our quality efforts. Yes, it's the mix. And, you know, this makes me think of quality improvement and evidence-based practice models, like the Iowa model or the Johns Hopkins model. And you know, Emily, how excited those steps make me. I have a lot of love languages and (laughs) models are one. But we need evidence and we need people and we need models to guide how we incorporate all of that to make impactful change. And I think that's what Elizabeth does as a master distiller. You know, there's a method behind her madness. She doesn't just go into the bourbon barrel and mix stuff around. She's methodical and thoughtful about her steps to create a quality product. And we just have to do the same in healthcare. Agreed. Audra, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the innovation and growth initiatives that Elizabeth is involved in with her role. I just had to bring this up. I really enjoyed learning about the Kentucky Rye Covered Crop Initiative. What really struck me is that this program is working towards such a large goal that, yes, will decrease the cost of Woodford Reserve bourbon production and benefit Brown Foreman but its reach is much more broad. If successful, this type of partnership with farmers will create more jobs. It will reduce the resources utilized to transport products. And Elizabeth said it has even been found to be beneficial to our soil. That is innovation that is so inspiring to me. Me too. Well, one, it's awesome. Also, we really haven't had many interviews that talk about the environmental impact of their work. One of the only ones that comes to mind for me has been Solie and his bike tour from season one, which to this day just makes my legs hurt thinking about. But (laughs) as we think about the covered crop initiative as it relates to healthcare, I think it just reiterates the value of thinking outside of the box and identifying collaborative partners and ideas that can make impactful change really outside of our reach as healthcare providers. You know, it makes me think about how we can provide high quality health care, but also improve schools or communities. How do we change the footprint we leave related to medical waste? How do we truly improve the built environment that contributes so much to chronic disease? I can go on and on and on about this, but Elizabeth really just made me want to hop into a think tank with my colleagues and students and get to work. Me too. And isn't that the beauty of learning from others? We didn't just learn today about bourbon. We learned about the value of QI and evidence-based models, how educational experiences can inform work that may not seem related, but on further review is incredibly related. And we learned the importance of extending our reach and establishing initiatives that leave our world maybe a little bit better. You nailed it, Emily. And as we like to say... 
this podcast isn't about healthcare. And today, it wasn't even all about bourbon. <laughs> it's about how we can learn from the experiences of others to make healthcare better. Thanks for learning with us. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum. This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise Okay Shouldn't come as a surprise Cause every morning we will rise